Seth, I have a question for you. If you were going to build an extremely successful airline right now, what ingredients would you include? A really strong hub and a strong airline market. Got it. What else? Exposure to the transatlantic market. Got it. What else? A solid global network and a solid premium product. Got it. What else? I'd base it in America. Ah, uh, that I don't have. In fact, the airline group I'm thinking of is one of the most comp is in one of the most competitive, crowded airline markets in the world. And if you haven't guessed already, I'm thinking of IAG, the International Airlines Group, parent company of British Airways, Iberia, Aer Lingus, Vueling, and Level. The reason IAG is on my mind is because it's continuing a great run. It posted a 20% operating margin in the third quarter, well ahead of the Lufthansa Group and Air France KLM. I'm Jason Cottrell, one of the founders of Airline Weekly, and that voice you heard was a man enjoying a great run in his own right. <laughs> Seth Kaplan, another Airline Weekly founder. We're going to talk about IAG's continued success. We'll check in on Air France KLM, Lufthansa, Norwegian, Icelandair, Ryanair, Turkish Airlines, and more. It's all coming up in this very European edition of the Airline Weekly Lounge. Thanks for joining us. We're looking at IAG's terrific third quarter in which they posted a 20% operating profit margin. That was down only a little from last year's 22% in the same quarter. That's, that's not bad considering fuel went up 22% year over year. Plus, IAG significantly outpaced rivals Air France KLM and Lufthansa Group, who both posted a 14% margin in the peak third quarter. Seth, what are the chief drivers of IAG's success? Well, Vueling uh, did really well. Now that, that's a that's a seasonal airline. Uh, its, it's earnings are highly seasonal. It's true also of Aer Lingus, by the way. Yeah, you know, they're not going to drive the profits in the in the fourth quarter. You know, any profits then in fourth and first quarter will tend to be more. You know, British Airways, also Iberia, more more corporate travel, longer oriented airlines, but transatlantic, as you said in the intro, just overall, anybody with transatlantic exposure doing well, uh, just just premium demand. You know, BA's seeing it. Iberia is seeing it too, although Iberia with some more Latin American exposure, you can imagine when you see headlines out of you know Brazil and Argentina that things aren't so good there uh, economically, that's, that's going to uh, particularly impact a, an airline like Iberia. Uh, but, you know, short haul Europe, you know, this is something that for legacy airline companies for a long time was, uh, you know, how, how did you even keep your head above water, you know, against Ryanair and so forth, but they're, they're doing well there. They said, especially within Spain, that's what this one market within that market that they noted uh, very good domestic Spain um, from Ireland to Eastern Europe. Uh, obviously, Aer Lingus, a contributor in, in that regard, and, and just a big contributor overall. It's been, as we've discussed in the past, really a, a home run for them. BA Holidays, uh, it was that unit did very well for the group. Cargo, they mentioned uh, the, the maintenance and ground handling units that, that do work for other airlines, as, as well as IAG itself, did well. So just really a lot more going right than uh, going wrong at that company right now. And uh, yeah, as you said, very strong results. I mean, we're talking, it was last month we ran, was the most recent time we ran our 
global profitability ranking of, of, of airlines, you know, top to bottom, I don't know, 74, 75, something like that airlines in the world. And if you looked at the top 10 in the world, uh, yeah, Ryanair was, was, was high on that list and some of the other usual suspects, but there were two legacy airline companies among the top 10. One was Delta, no surprise. I think, you know, everybody knows how, how well they've been doing in recent years. And the other was IAG. You know, those are the only two in the world, a company that's, that's, that's doing rather well. The other thing, by the way, Jason, you know, you mentioned competitive market and yeah, there are airlines from all over the planet, place like Heathrow. On the other hand, you know, there's one airline that has the that has a whole lot more at Heathrow than anybody else, and, and that's that's BA. So, so uh, you know, competitive in terms of the number of players, but they have an incredible position at the most important airport in the world's busiest airline market. If you add up all the airlines in a city, yeah, Atlanta's the busiest airport. New York's a really big air, uh, big market. You know, you had, you had all the air, airports there, but nothing comes even, even close to London with, you know, whatever it is, 150 million uh, plus uh, plus passengers a year, counting all the airports there. And and BA uh, has a position there that, that everybody else envies. We mentioned in an Airline Weekly cover story that IAG has a unique business model. Explain that model and how it works for them. Yeah, what we were talking about and the unique, uh, well, it's it's certainly unusual. Lufthansa does a little of this too. Basically, IAG goes out and you know buys airplanes and and lets its airline units. You mentioned all of them. You kind of compete for who's going to get the resources based on based on cost, based on who can who can you know produce the most profit. And so you know they don't immediately allocate if they buy some you know some some. Uh, Hey, three twenties. They don't designate them when they order them that they're going to be for BA or Iberia or you know Whaling or Aer Lingus. They uh, you know later on they just see how everybody's performing. You know it, it puts pressure on uh, well on, on management at the different airline companies on the labor groups there to come up with something competitive because you know if you're a, a worker even let's say uh, yeah you want high wages but you also want to be at an airline that's growing. You know that's that's also job protection and 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 uh, and all the rest of it. If you're willing to play ball with with uh, the parent company and come up with a competitive cost structure, uh, you will uh, you'll you'll uh, get perhaps more than uh, more than your share of the growth if things aren't going so well elsewhere. You know, years ago, uh, Iberia was still very much in turnaround mode, and uh, you know they 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 grew other places where it made more sense. Now Iberia is doing better. And growing. What about level? What kind of contribution is it making? Look, they don't break out its um its its results uh, exactly because it's not technically its its own unit. Technically, it it's 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 a part of Iberia actually, but it's uh, it's clearly not. Let's say it's clearly not what's driving the success of uh, of IAG. I mean, they only have a handful of routes, and they already said, look, we're. Um, pulling out of Los Angeles, um, pulling out of Punta Cana, switching flights from Oakland to San Francisco, trying to see if that works better. Uh, so yeah, I mean here, here, you know, we've had this discussion many times on this show, uh, as, as well as in the newsletter. Low cost, long haul. You know, can anybody make it work? Well, if you're looking for exceptions, and and there are a few possible ones around the world. You know, we've talked about Air Canada Rouge seems to be going rather well. You know, Jetstar perhaps for for Qantas. Well, level doesn't look like one of those exceptions now. Yeah, important to note that that's not as big of a problem for IAG as, let's say, you know, Eurowings long haul is, is a problem for Lufthansa, uh, just because level's much smaller. It's of much less strategic importance. You know, for uh, for Lufthansa Group, Eurowings is is a big 
part of its plans going forward. Not necessarily the case for level. I mean, look, I'm sure if it had gone better than they ever imagined, sure, they would have grown it you know, based on what we were talking about a few minutes ago. You know, it's it's defensive. It's there partly. I mean, they don't say this exactly, but you can tell it's there largely to make life miserable for Norwegian. And, you know, it's probably achieving that goal as a very small part of a of a very big company that's that's uh, that's doing rather well. So, you know, I don't think this is something that, uh, you know, Willie Walsh at the top of IAG loses a lot of sleep over. In fact, you know, they 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 might have priced it in that it would go exactly like this. Um, but uh, but yeah, for for what it's worth, you know, level is uh, seems to be a drag on, on group performance. Moving on to Air France, KLM and Lufthansa, both airline groups had a 14 percent margin. How good is that for the third quarter? It's it's good. It's uh, obviously, for one thing, not as good as IAG. You mentioned uh, they had, what, a 20% margin? Yeah, so for Air France KLM, they had, let's look at, uh, what did they have last year? Oh, yeah, also 14%. You know, you look around the world, and there aren't too many airlines that managed to uh to maintain their margin uh for last last year you know from last year even airlines that are that are doing better in the absolute uh in most cases uh saw uh saw their margins slip so uh so yeah for rare friends klm good uh to see them managing to uh to maintain that uh in Lufthansa's case they 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 did slip uh a bit from last year but uh but as you said, still uh, still doing about as well for the third quarter as, as Air France KLM did. Doing about as well, but Air France KLM did actually beat Lufthansa by a few tenths of a percentage point in operating profit margin. That's somewhat unusual. Is it a matter of Air France KLM having a strong quarter or Lufthansa having a weak quarter? Yeah, yes and yes. Talking first about Air France KLM, things things went well. Um, short haul unit revenue trends. We talked about it before with IAG, the kind of short haul u- Europe doing well even for legacy airline companies. And Air France KLM was right there to uh, to take advantage of that. Another difference between those two companies, they both have non-airline businesses, you know, ancillary businesses. It's just a much more important part of the Lufthansa group than it is at Air France. And again, I know I think you want to save Lufthansa for uh, for a minute, talk more about Air France first, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, it, they're bigger at Lufthansa and they're a drag. At Air France KLM, they are um, they're, they're simply smaller. Meanwhile, when you talk about those low-cost units, Eurowings, of course, has that long-haul flying, which seems problematic. Transavia at uh, Air France, it's, it's a short-haul unit. It used to produce dreadfully bad results. And that's not the case anymore. In fact, for the third quarter, now, this is a very seasonal airline, so don't get too excited. It's not going to do this all year, but a 29% operating margin. And then it's doing well, by the way, both in France and the Netherlands are two sides to a company doing well, both places. As usual, the joint ventures, uh, you know, of course, with Delta, but also all around the world, um, you know, China Eastern, China Southern, Jet Airways in India, Vietnam Airlines, Kenya Airways, um, uh, you know, it's going to be together with Virgin Atlantic and Delta soon. Um, Air Europa uh, seems to be getting closer to WestJet. Um, you know, so just just an incredible uh, portfolio of of partners. Uh, you know, with 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 labor tensions to some degree seeming to uh, you know at least take a break uh, with with uh, new leadership there. Yeah, things things at least. Uh, I mean, the company hasn't turned corner yet, but there's there's hope in a way that there uh, that there hadn't been. For, uh, for a couple of years there. Lufthansa had some serious operational challenges, and they did come in slightly behind Air France KLM. But as you mentioned, 14% isn't that bad. Were you at all impressed that they did as well as they did in the face of a lot of problems? 
Yeah, yeah. I think if you you could sort of tick off a lot of uh, you know the air traffic control issues, a huge integration challenges. You know, the, the fact that Air Berlin went out of business, of course, an opportunity for Lufthansa, and of course, it had to uh, do what it did. Um, you know, and sort of take over a lot of Air Berlin's assets. But that's a you know, all of a sudden, it just had to digest a lot, and it was a messy summer operationally. And we're talking, you know, it, it says. Two hundred million dollars is is what the operational mess mess uh, costed, and that that would you know if you if you put that back in there, its operating margin would be about two points higher. Guess what? Then it would match uh, what it did a, a year earlier. So, yeah, in, in the face of all of it, uh, not bad. Jason, I mentioned earlier sort of the non airline units, and just to just to put numbers to to those, I mentioned they're a drag uh, on earnings, which you know indeed they are. Yeah, if you look at the airline units, uh, they're they're all doing fine. Swiss, of course, uh, you know, seventeen percent margin, uh, leading the group as usual. But Lufthansa airline mainline fifteen percent. That's fine. Austrian, which has often been a laggard, you know, still fourteen percent. But those non-airline units, cargo four percent, maintenance seven percent, catering seven percent, and there are reports out there that 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 Lufthansa is uh you know, is considering selling some of those units not considering selling euro wings that's for sure that's that's an important part of what's doing but euro wings too uh sort of brought down the average uh with with a 10 percent margin in the case of euro wings that was way down from a year ago so the group just down slightly the other airline units uh in most cases down uh, just you know kind of two or three points uh but euro wings plummeted from uh 18 percent to 10 percent it's gonna lose money for the full year although uh management says that it could that it could uh break even next year. Norwegian had an 11% operating profit margin in the quarter. That's slightly better than, say, JetBlue, but I have a feeling you're going to tell me that Norwegian shouldn't be all that happy with their double-digit margin. Right, because the problem is, let's look at like the first quarter, for example. JetBlue had a 7% margin uh, for the first quarter. Norwegian had a... I'm looking here for... For some red, that's the easiest way to find it. Norwegian had a negative thirty-one percent margin for the uh, for the first quarter, so that's the difference. It's just a slightly more seasonal airline for uh, than uh, than JetBlue, and no wonder then that when you go back and look at the full year margins again, like I said, the last time we sort of did the the full ranking, we do this every quarter in the newsletter after after everybody's finished reporting. So where is it? Uh, JetBlue for the year. Um, JetBlue is not, you know, a standout performer in the U.S., but uh, an 11% operating margin for for the most recent 12 months uh, through, well, that was through the second quarter that kind of covered everybody who had reported through then. Uh, Norwegian and JetBlue in the top third of airlines in the world. Norwegian with a negative 8% annually, second from the bottom in the world. And yeah, that uh, 11% for the peak third quarter, not going to do much to change that considering that that it was flat year over year. So the best thing you could say is that as compared to other airlines, you know, which mostly, as I mentioned around the world, mostly were down uh, in the third quarter compared to last year, uh, Norwegian was not down. Uh, so the, the trend is ever so slightly positive, just we're, t- we're not talking about compared to any other anything else in the world, any other airline. I mean, it's worse than almost everybody. But at least, you know, as re- as recently as the second quarter, its margins were still slipping a bit, and now it seems to have gotten its hands around that. You know, it's it's not slipping anymore. But the problem is that when you're doing negative eight percent annually, uh, you know, you, 
you've got to do more than simply uh, not slip further. You've, you've got to start improving. Any update on the fate of Norwegian? Are they going to be bought? You know, we'll see. I mean, IAG still seems interested, although if anything, their interest seems to be waning. Yeah, I mean, these margins are not sustainable. Um, you know, something something would have to change. I mean, they could, you know, they can keep burning the furniture and, uh, you know, a lot of airplanes there, sale, leaseback deals, all the rest of it. So, uh, you, you know, this is an airline that still has positive net equity. I mean, its balance sheet is, you know, it's not exactly investment grade nor anything nor anything close to it you know if you look at its 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 margins i mean they look just like air berlin's operating margins before air berlin went out of business the difference was that air berlin was insolvent whereas norwegian's not so if it can uh like i said burn some more furniture and if it can somehow turn around these margins then it could could survive um but you know just ask wow air which probably wishes it had sold itself earlier to Iceland there didn't get much, uh, you know, Norwegian at some point, you know, right now, IAG was still willing to pay, you know, a, a real price for, 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 for an airline that's, you know, that's, that's losing money and, and whose uh, uh, sustainability is very much in question. Uh, you know, if, if things were to continue on the trajectory that they've been on the past couple of years, uh, it, it might be tougher to, uh, to, to, to salvage, uh, something like that. So, um, you know, a lot, a lot of it's going to have to do with fuel, fuel costs, you know, they're kind of off their highs here, right. That, you know, when you saw them spiking, that's when, you know, most recent, well, you know, Primera kind of most prominently, but Cobalt and others went out, you know, fuel prices recede, uh, that can be a lifeline, uh, to, to, uh, to struggling airlines too. So, uh, a lot of what happens in the airline industry, you know, some, a lot of times people ask me, you know, what's going to happen with whatever. And I'll say, yeah, you, know, you tell me what's going to happen with fuel prices, and I'll tell you everything else. Of course, what I mean is nobody knows what's going to happen with fuel prices. Um, you know, if they were to spike, uh, that would probably really hold the region's feet to the fire. I've used a lot of fire analogies in this way, right? burning the furniture. Um, but uh, you know, if they were to continue receding, then that would uh, give it some more breathing room. But uh, no, things aren't aren't terribly good there. Since you brought up fire, let's talk about Iceland. <laughs> and you mentioned, uh, you also mentioned Iceland, uh, Iceland Air buying Wow Air. Is that a surprise? Uh, they seem to be cannibalizing each other. Does a merger not make sense? Well, I, I, I guess it was, it's a surprise in the sense that I didn't expect to, to see that when, you know, they're, they're, you know, like, let's say, you know, if Spirit and Frontier someday merge, that would not be a surprise because that's something that people talk about a lot. Um, Iceland there, wow, area, you know, it wasn't something, uh, you know, that, that I necessarily expected right then, but sure, it makes sense. Iceland Air is an airline that was this sort of quietly and surprisingly profitable airline for for years. It not, I mean, not 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 atop the leaderboard, but it was like you know, like the top third of airlines around the world um, in terms of operating profit margin. It would run double digit positive margins uh, there for, for a few years earlier this decade, even when fuel prices were pretty expensive. We once ran a cover story in Airline Weekly. We called it the cold weather Copa. And basically, you know, Copa, often among the world's most profitable airlines, you know, much more so typically than Iceland Air. But, uh, you know, basically it was this airline with it with a with sort of an uh, an interestingly positioned hub in, uh, you know, in in between, you know, two regions with well positioned to, to connect them, all narrow body aircraft. Copa's case, of course, Panama connecting the Americas. In Iceland Air's case, connecting you know, Europe and the U.S. Uh, narrow body aircraft. I think we've talked about it on the show before how you know disproportionately airlines that do well 
uh, seemed to have all narrow bodies, with exceptions, obviously. We mentioned earlier Delta IHE. It was an airline that, all, even if it didn't make global headlines, it was doing well. Then you had this tourism boom in, in, in Iceland, which started even before WOW was doing its thing. Then WOW came along, and WOW started growing at, at incredible rates. Iceland Air started matching their growth uh, at equally incredible rates. And, and it was... It was great for tourism in Iceland, which which has, has you know just set all kinds of records. And actually, you know, the bottleneck now is not enough hotel rooms, certainly not enough cheap hotel rooms, and all that. So it's put some strains on infrastructure. But uh, you know, in terms of filling seats, it's great. But the problem was that a lot of these seats were being filled with ninety nine dollar fares, uh, and it was just too much for a small market to uh, to to uh, absorb. So you know, with this, uh, Wow Air goes away as a as a um, as an independent competitor, assuming they get regulatory approval. Icelandair says Wow Air is going to keep its name. Uh, we'll see. You know, it's it's probably mostly a a, a a labor cost strategy if that's the case. I mean, these are airlines that they're not that big and they're in the same country market. Uh, you would you know not not a lot of scale with each brand. You'd think that they would want to absorb it at some point, but maybe not. You know, maybe they just do the math and decide that. Uh, that it's um, cheaper to um, to deal with the inefficiencies of the two brands than it would be to um, you know to merge the, work, the workforces. Let's say they also say they're going to keep flying everywhere where they're flying. That doesn't mean that they won't rationalize capacity. You know, if you, the, you know, I don't think anybody ever thought there needed to be three airlines flying between Dallas Fort Worth and Reykjavik. You know, those two as well as uh, American in that case responding. So you know, so I'm, I'm sure you'll at least see some tactical capacity reductions in some markets. Although the markets themselves, you know that. Could be true that they end up just staying in that because a lot of those are places where Iceland Air either did expand, you know, or or would have, you know on its own or would have expanded at some point. I mean, they were they were a growth airline too, and um, you know, penetrating more into secondary markets. Uh, their bread and butter, Jason. By the way, it was uh, again sort of back to the Copa analogy. Um, you know, Copa makes makes the most money in markets where where there are no nonstop flights and there's a decent amount of demand and it's the most it, it, it's the most convenient connecting option, right? So, you know, markets like, I don't know, you know, Houston to Santiago, uh, Chile is one that um, was, you know, was always you know, those kinds of things where you look at, you could tell, okay, there was, there was, there was a, you know, a certain amount of demand. Nobody's flying nonstop and Copa had the best uh, service in the market. Uh, Iceland Air for them, you know, markets like Minneapolis to Oslo, you know, a fair amount of people flying that, uh, and they were just the the most convenient option, um, and and a lot of others like that. You know, sort of secondary U.S. to secondary Europe. Uh, so without WoW competing independently, and especially if fuel prices again stay, you know, kind of keep receding here, then you could imagine them uh, perhaps going back to you know to 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 making decent profits. Although at this point they still have to deal with there's just still a lot more capacity. And granted, yeah, it's all theirs now, but but this is a market that's just oversupplied right now. So uh we'll see if they just sort of slam the brakes on growth, which I would kind of expect, you know, if not even some contraction, um and and better match uh supply with demand in a way that has not been the case in the past several years in uh in iceland okay so if anybody was impressed by iag's 20 percent mar- margin prepare to be dazzled by not surprisingly ryanair the owner of a 34 percent operating profit margin in the third quarter however that's down about seven points from the year before quarter yeah so uh you know th- this is an airline again sort of the opposite situation of some of the others we talked about uh you know like an air france who um held steady but you know 
you'd still rather be Ryanair, right? You'd still rather you'd still rather have a 34% margin. By the way, that would have been 36% if you take out Lotta Motion, which is uh the Vienna subsidiary where they're just sort of still trying to, you know, get get their hands around what's going on there. So that's a drag on the group. But yeah, a year earlier was 40%. And yeah, this is an airline that's that's dealt with its share of uh, challenges. Eight days of strikes this summer. Strikes. I mean, two years ago, if somebody was talking about strikes at Ryanair, that was like, you know, it was like two words that, that you couldn't use in the same sentence. This was a non-union airline that just didn't have any of that. Well, now they do. Yeah, labor costs up almost a third with that mass unit unionization that has happened there. Air traffic control strikes, staff shortages too. So, you know, it's percentage of on-time flights dropped by 11 points. That's a big deal for an airline that, you know, one thing that it always was, uh, it wasn't fancy, but it was dependable. And uh, you always you know, you get to, to the gate early and they play that silly little circus music and say it's another on-time arrival by Ryanair. So they're operational reputation has suffered. And again, that's tough when you're an airline that, you know, there are some other things that people don't necessarily enjoy about flying it, even though it has um, made some improvements in, in those regards in, in our recent years. So yeah, uncharacteristic challenges for Ryanair, but you'd still rather be Ryanair than almost any other airline on the planet. Okay. As is tradition around here, we'll finish on a high note. Wow, here's an airline that made a fast comeback. Turkish Airlines, who had a negative 4% operating profit margin for all of 2016, just posted a terrific third quarter with a 23% operating margin. Seth, things are looking brighter in Turkey. Do you think they will return to their days of 21% growth? Well, they will if, if they can do it profitably. You know, To their credit, they slammed the brakes on growth when it was time to do that. Um, when uh, the 36 million tourists who uh, visited Turkey in 2015 suddenly shrunk to 25 million the following year. And so, yeah, so, so that, like you said, that 21% growth airline was suddenly a, a 2% uh, growth airline. Um, and by the way, that, that 23% operating margin that you mentioned, that's down from 25% last year. So the turnaround had, had already begun. They've kind of now lapped that. The trends are good. You know, when, 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 when tourism is booming in Turkey, as it is now again, it's usually a good sign for uh, for Turkish airlines, which is very much, you know, it's as much as an everywhere to everywhere airline as any other uh, on the planet. Yeah, you think of Emirates, probably most famously in terms of an airline that that uh, just connects everywhere with everywhere. You know, in terms of truly just more destinations than anybody else, there's nothing else like like Turkish Airlines. They serve the most. They keep expanding. I mean, now they've added, what, Freetown, uh, Samarkand, uh, Krasnodar, Moroni, uh, Lusaka is is coming, then uh, uh, Marrakesh, Port Sudan, Linz, Sharjah. So, you know, whereas like the Arabian Gulf carriers have, they've mostly stopped doing that. And this, by the way, is an airline, although, you, you know, if you live, Elsewhere in the world, if you live in, like here we are, North America, other parts of the world, you might picture this as a India, as a, you know, as a wide body airline. But this airline, what's interesting about them too, is that they are, the preponderance of their aircraft are, are narrow bodies. So, you know, you can take from that what you want, but kind of the thing we mentioned earlier about how, you know, there is this correlation between narrow bodies profits and Turkish airlines, you know, if you think they're an exception to that rule, they're not really because it's it's uh, the vast majority of their fleet really uh, for an airline as big as they are. It's really uh, a, a rather small number wide body aircraft for them. Although, you know, that's uh, they do to be sure have more wide bodies uh, coming in. 787-9 Dreamliners coming um, and then uh, A350-900. So, uh, so 
they are growing that part of their fleet. But um, yeah, a lot of their secret sauce is that they can basically reach all of Europe with a uh, with a narrow body aircraft, which is not something that the Arabian Gulf carriers can uh, uh, can do. You know, they can do a little bit if you're you know at the had they fly up into you know you know Athens or what have you. But uh, uh, Turkish can cover all of that, and that is a uh, an advantage for them. All right, we'll wrap up episode 109 right there. As always, if you like the show, share it with your colleagues. They can subscribe to the Airline Weekly Lounge through iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever they get their podcasts. They can also subscribe at AirlineWeekly.com. For Seth Kaplan, I'm Jason Cottrell. Thanks for spending some time with us. 